And the people said, Amen. Have a seat, everyone. We move into our time of teaching, and then we'll have a few special things to end things up with. And uh, because of the pace of the morning, we'll uh, put off our Lord's table until next Sunday. Um, it is Father's Day, and I wanted to connect together the idea of under this love banner over here, where one of our values, although it's not listed over there, is telling your story. I wanted to bring together telling your story with Father's Day, and um, so that's what we have here this morning. And so if you brought your Bible and you want to turn to it, uh, Mark chapter 5, the Gospel of Mark chapter 5, or if you have it on an app or whatever, it's Mark chapter 5. If you didn't bring any of that, that's fine. We're going to put it up on the screen anyway. Um, but sometimes I think it's handy to have it in front of you so you can kind of read it at your own pace and go back and look at it. It's a fantastic story, and by fantastic, I mean crazy, unbelievable. Uh, it's actually from the ministry of Jesus. This is not a parable or anything. It's like historical account uh, in the Gospels, repeated in three of the Gospels, by the way. Um, so here it is from Jesus' ministry, Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Uh, stop for a moment, sorry, historical moment. They came to the other side of the sea. That would be the Sea of Galilee, a lake big enough, freshwater lake big enough, that you could not see the other side of it. It was such a large, uh, you have to think back 2,000 years ago, this was a center of commerce because you could travel across and sell your goods. Remember Peter and his brothers are fishermen, duh, because they lived at the Sea of Galilee. That also meant a, a mixing of cultures and languages, Greek, Aramaic, Hebrew, uh, who knows, Syriac even at the time, perhaps early forms of that. So keep in mind, this is a very cosmopolitan uh, journey that they're on, okay? They came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes, so they're probably not necessarily Hebrew, but they might be all mixed up. And when they'd stepped, when Jesus when he had stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. <clears throat> he lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones." When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And then Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now, there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered into the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off, told it in the city and the country. The people came out to see what was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw that the demoniac was sitting there clothed in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. 
Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed by demons begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he's shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Decapolis, another historical note. Deca, if you know your Latin here, uh, means 10. And this was the Romans governed a 10 region uh, area here. And that's why they called it the Decapolis. Once again, around the Sea of Galilee, lots of different kinds of people and regions, all right? Because, just another side note, you have to wonder why there would be swine in a Hebrew country. Remember, kosher? So, definitely on the other side of the lake. Got it? Here's the point. Everyone has a story. You have a story. I have a story. Our life is a story. And the best stories, just like this man who had the legion of demons, the best stories that all of us know, whether we recognize it or not, all follow a common pattern. Once upon a time, everything was normal, and I was minding my own business. Then I decided to do something a little risky, take a chance. I got in way over my head, and everything went really crazy. Then comes the end of the story. A, option A, it turned out okay. Option B, it did not turn out okay. You can only think of Star Wars at this moment. Luke Skywalker, minding his own business, takes a small chance. Sure, I'll get on a ship and go with you, old man. And what happens? It turns out okay. Phew. This is the same story of David, the little shepherd boy David, and he becomes king. This is the same story of uh, the Odyssey from Homer. This is the same tale of King Arthur. It's in every Chinese, the way west. It's in African tribal. The same story goes on and on and on like this. I got in over my head. Things went crazy. And then it turned out okay or B, not okay. And your story follows the same pattern. <laughs> I was just minding my own business, being born, being a kid, and then something, I got some chance, I got born in this family or whatever, and it went crazy, right? And then, did it turn out okay or, or not okay? Hmm. This man with the demons. I mean, it's not in the Scripture, but you've got to wonder, how did he get filled with a legion of demons? I don't know. There, there's nothing really in Scripture that says how people become demon-possessed. They just seem to always be that way. I mean... Is there is it a bad choice of friends? Uh, does it have anything to do with pigs? Um, do you have to invite them in? Is it like Buffy the Vampire Slayer where you have to invite the vampire? I mean, that's, sorry, a little 90s reference there for some of you. Um, how's that work? I don't know. We don't know. But he, he must have been living a normal life, made some choice that went really crazy, and next thing he knows, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Ah, turned out okay. Sitting at the feet of Jesus is the way our story is supposed to end. Has your story ended up that way? What's your story? What does your story have to tell, everyone? Because this morning I want to implore you to tell your story. Tell your story to others. Tell your story to your family. 
Tell all of your ups and downs, where it went crazy, where it went wrong. Come out of hiding. Put your story together and tell it to others. It will heal your soul. It will make you a good father, a good mother, a good aunt, a good uncle, a good cousin, a good grandparent, a good brother and sister. It will define your life. It will change the world. And who knows, you may end up sitting at the feet of Jesus. Tell your story. Tell the whole thing. The crisis, the wake-up calls. Because someday, everyone, you will tell your story and every tongue confess and every knee will bow before Jesus who was right and we were wrong. And everything will be known. You see, um, one of the unhealthiest aspects of our current society here in the 21st century is it's hyper-scheduled, very fast-paced, super-technology-driven lifestyles of us Americans is really actually the rest of the world as well. We, We don't have any storytelling. Instead, we're going around looking at pictures of food and with the friends that we're with. Now, that's okay because it, it has some distant echo of a story. It's like, hey, we're out, this really cool-looking food, I'm taking a picture. Okay, where's the crazy part? I don't know. You know, crazy food. That's, see, we're, we don't know how to tell a story anymore. We're missing it. Things have come unraveled really out of the speed of technology. And this is kind of an area of research for me, so I kind of know a little bit about what I'm talking about here. But we, we don't really quite get this whole thing of how it's going, all right? Um, we have come to this deal where what we need is a campfire. We need a campfire because campfires are how we tell stories. And those of you who have been around a campfire know that the fire aspect somehow brings out the story. You're like, man, that's really weird. I'm just saying campfires slow us down. Camping slows you down. It's one of the healthiest things you can do. Moms, dads, take your kids camping. You're saying, I have no idea how to camp. I hate camping. I'll probably light myself on fire or maybe my child. Like, perfect. Because children will, for decades, tell you about how the camp out went wrong. That's a good camp out. Who wants a perfect camp out? You want to get rained on, slide down a mud uh, hillside into the lake. You want it to go desperately wrong. We've taken our kids to Disneyland many times, and they think that's nice. But only the disaster campouts are the ones that they tell stories about. Once upon a time, we were minding our business. We went camping. It all went bad. Did not turn out okay. And then everybody laughs because it didn't go super bad. It defines a family. You got to get around the campfire, everyone. It shapes a house into a home. My son and I um, just recently got back from going to Canada fishing. And we got invited on this wonderful trip. And we caught a lot of fish. We sat in the rain, freezing to death. And, you know, see? See how you start telling the bad stuff? And, um, but we caught a lot of fish, except there was one common complaint amongst all the dads and sons. There's no campfire ring here at this campsite, at these cabins. Beautiful cabins. Everything's beautiful. You're in Canada. Everything's beautiful. But no campfire ring. Where's the campfire ring? How can we be out here fishing without a campfire ring? Right? I mean, we got so desperate in our caveman desperation that we actually pulled over an old grill and loaded it with charcoal and sticks and twigs, and we all stood around a grill 
I mean, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it, you know. Uh, my Y chromosome's going crazy here for a moment. But I mean, we stood around a grill because we needed a fire so bad. And everyone started laughing and telling stories. And of course, you're in Canada, so the fish stories are really, really big. That's what we did. Because we needed that campfire. You see, you're supposed to drag the chairs up and take the children and sit around the fire and tell stories. It's a compulsion of the human soul. This is what we do. And our culture today is moving too fast to do that. So you're going to have to work at it a little bit, okay? Because it's fun. It's good. When our kids were younger, we'd make a fire out on the patio, you know, we had a little concrete patio pad, and we had one of those little clay uh, patio bong fire pit thingies, and we'd put a little fire in there, and we'd wrap the kids up in the blankets to keep the mosquitoes off of them, and then we'd sit out there, and they'd say, tell me a story, and then Lori would tell them, you know, slimy green monster stories, which were all made-up monster stories, and then I'd tell them about my family, which were not the made-up monster stories, um, and, and we had a good time, and then we'd put, brush their teeth and put them to bed. And that's how we bound the family together. But there's more to this. From a science standpoint, this actually works. Research shows that red light, red-orange light, says it's time to go to bed. Blue light says it's time to wake up. It's part of our rhythm in the human spirit and if you read certain scientists, they say it's evolutionary or whatever. Red light, go to bed. Blue light, wake up. Now we have an entire world at night staring at blue light that says stay awake instead of red light that says go to bed. By the way, at this moment, you can now take your iPhone out and get into brightness display and change it to red shift if you would like to enhance this sort of thing. At least some phones are getting with it. What this means then is that uh, we are experiencing sleep deprivation. And I'm going to quote to you here um, from the research. But chronic sleep deprivation, I know this sounds exaggerated, but I'm just quoting it to you. Chronic sleep deprivation is the number one malady affecting two-thirds of all adults worldwide. Now. The blue screen is a recent invention. Besides television, it's a recent invention in the last eight years with the internet and so forth. The research is just now starting to come in on this sort of thing, okay? You'll probably hear more about it during your lifetime. Here's the rest of the quote. Sleep deprivation symptoms include heart disease, lung disease, kidney disease, appetite suppression, poor weight control, weakened immune functioning, lower resistance to disease, higher pain sensitivity, slowed reaction times. And then I have to wonder, you're playing Xbox, you're playing a game, you've got slow reaction times. That's not working. Mood fluctuation, depressed brain function, depression, obesity, diabetes, and certain forms of cancer, all from sleep deprivation. Looking at blue light at night, they say, is about the same as inducing jet lag. No wonder you're waking up tired. <laughs> My point is this. Red firelight slows us down long enough to reflect and tell a story and shape a story. Without it, we're moving too fast past a critical part of the human spirit and past your soul and your spiritual journey. 
We don't have the, the, the functioning anymore. It's not built into our schedule. If you want to be a, a good family, you have to gather around the red light. That's the way it works. In Jesus' time, 2,000 years ago, and even before, actually for many, many millennia, storytelling was a critical function. It was serious business, okay, in Jesus' day. It actually still is, but it's almost gone. You see, Jesus grew up in, in a non-written tradition. Hebrew uh, and its ancient forms were an oral language. and This means an oral tradition means that it was not ever written down. The language was around before they could write it. Now, Latin and Greek and our languages were all written while, actually even English especially, were all written be- before they were even being spoken. You get it? But not for Hebrew, not for Chinese, and not for other languages like that. So, if you wanted to pass on the culture's history, storytelling was serious business. These days, you can still find Middle Eastern Bedouin shepherds who shepherd, you know, goats and sheep. And storytelling, researchers have gone into these Bedouin people groups and have listened to them how they do their storytelling. There's always a master storyteller and elder, and they teach the younger ones how to tell the stories of their people's history and their tribe's history, okay? If the young person gets it wrong in the storytelling, as they're learning to tell the story. They must start over or pick up where they got it wrong, correct the story exactly, and start repeating it. In other words, oral traditions, such as the Jews and in the Bible, have very, very accurate traditions. The stories are actually more accurate than when people copy things and make mistakes, believe it or not. This, by the way, has a side note about how the Bible came to us and scriptures and so forth, and that some of the accuracy is good. So this is very important, all right? Storytelling is part of cultures. It goes back to antiquity, and we're losing it these days. My father was a storyteller. You give my father a good campfire and a pack of filterless camels, and he could spin some tales, man. Typically, my father told stories around a campfire in our Boy Scout troop. My brothers and I were all in Boy Scouts. We went camping almost every month, and it always involved a lot of fire. Believe me, you get 13-year-olds, 14-year-olds out there, there's going to be fire. And my dad would stand around the campfire, and he was top salesman, you know, his whole life. And he was loud and boisterous and just enthusiastic about everything. And he'd start spinning out these stories. Now, what you also have to know about my dad is that he was in World War II in the Navy, and he was stationed in the Chesapeake Bay. So he didn't see combat over in any of the theaters, but he saw the results of it. So here you are, you're on a Boy Scout camp out. It's late at night, 10 o'clock at night, and all the boys are sitting around the campfire, and my dad starts talking, cranking out camels. And by the way, he's not politically correct. That's kind of a warning. Um, So during World War II, he's stationed in the Chesapeake Bay, and he worked one of his jobs as an 18-year-old. This is kind of incredible to think about. Was working in the morgue, all right? So the bodies were coming home, and his job all night long, alone, in the dark, was prepping bodies that were on steel table slabs 
strapped in and tilted up. He says, there's nothing like being in a room full of dead bodies with all those pairs of eyes following every move you make all night long. You're on a Boy Scout camp out, and you're talking about dead bodies out in the dark. And then, all right, guys, time to go to bed. <laughs> Sleep deprivation going on on the Boy Scout camp out. So when Jesus tells the man, save from his legion of demons, go back home. Go back home. Tell your story. It is the most powerful life-changing force on the planet. One human telling another human being what happened to him. It doesn't get any better than that, everyone. That's what we're all supposed to be doing for each other. Passing on the story. Shaping families. Shaping cultures. Without the story, we become a lost people. We begin to bicker and we begin to compete. It all comes unraveled without the story. The story's really simple. Once upon a time, everything was normal. Then I decided to do some small chance and risk. I didn't know how it would turn out. Things got crazy. And then A, it turned out okay. B, it did not turn out okay. My story follows that same format. I was 16 years old. And on a cold Monday, January night, my life was coming unraveled. I'd been hanging out with criminals. Things were going bad. I could see those guys older than me by four or five years, and they were starting to go to jail or die. And I saw the handwriting on the wall. I said, this is not going to turn out okay. So I did the only thing, like what my parents had taught me to do. I fell by my bed in my parents' house there in my bedroom all alone, and I, I just prayed, God, help me. That was as sophisticated as I could get. And I don't know how to describe it or tell you this or explain it. It always sounds a little corny to me. But just like a huge weight lifted off of me. I felt totally free. And I thought it'd be gone the next day, and it wasn't. And I thought it'd be gone the next day and the next week after that, and it wasn't. And I started to meet other uh, Christians. And that was over 40 years ago. And it changed my life. See how easy it is to tell a story? Now we're sitting at the feet of Jesus. What about you? Have you told your story lately? Where's your life heading? Do you know what story you're in? Are you just in the crazy part? Are you just holding back, living life normal? Do you need to take a chance? All your parents have just had kids. Nice chance taking. You'll never be the same. You find your campfire and you'll shape a family. You'll define a clan. You'll be a human being and you'll find yourself sitting at the feet of Jesus if it goes okay. Go home to your friends. Tell them how much the Lord's done for you and what mercy he's shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. So here's a story from one of your fellow Lakelanders, Jay Hertzler. And, you know, Jay wouldn't like me to say it, but I think Jay's one of the role models around here. 
I like watching him how he does his family. I like watching him how he spends his time. I think he's funny. And not in a funny way. I mean, you know, like a weird way. I'm just saying, like, he's really a good guy. He's one of the guys I look up to. Jay, would you come and share your story? Oh, good, he's still here. (laughs) Good morning, everyone. Happy Father's Day. My name is Jay Hertzler, and this is my story. Part-time Catholic. Seems like such a harsh term when you think about having faith in your life, only part of the time instead of every day, but that was my childhood. My mother is a devout Catholic from the Philippines. My dad was a devout Catholic from the Chicago area who went to parochial schools and was an altar boy growing up. The moment of change for my parents was before they even met, when my father divorced his first wife. Without an annulment, the church did not make him feel welcome anymore, and he became disenfranchised with the church. So when he married my mom, it was in front of a judge and not the church, and my childhood began without consistent faith. As I was growing up, I became a part-time Catholic, going to church on Easter and Christmas Eve. I grew up believing in Christ, but what I was missing was the everyday influence of Christ that only going to church on a consistent basis can bring. And because we moved every two years until I was in high school, I never stayed anywhere long enough to become part of anything. Fast forward to when I was just short of 25 years old and I took a chance and I married my best friend and soulmate, Heather. For those who don't know that story, we met in South Korea while both serving in the U.S. Army. Church for Heather was a very big part of her childhood, and it brought her a lot of joy while she was growing up. After we got married and started building a family, we both agreed we wanted to raise our children with faith in their lives and ours. That started with us attending Catholic Mass, which was a no-brainer considering we were both Catholic, her full-time, me part-time, but we realized it was not going well at all. For my wife, Heather, Mass was comfortable and safe because church was a consistent presence in her childhood. For me, not so much. And as our three boys grew older, Mass was something they wanted to avoid at all costs. And I'm going to, they're right over here, so I'm going to tell their story with them. This was when we learned how good of a, of, a, of a negotiator our oldest son would be, right? After 10 plus years in that parish, we felt like we'd never been part of the church, that we're just going through the motions, making ourselves feel better by telling ourselves that just going for one hour a week counted as being faithful. After many negotiations, arguments, and children crying every time we wanted to go to church on Sunday, Heather and I decided we would make a change and began church shopping, which brought us here to Lakeland Community Church. I cannot speak for my wife, but this was the moment that everything changed for me. After our first day at Lakeland, our kids told us that this was the place they wanted to go to. They loved the music, they laughed a lot when Dan gave the sermon that day, and after the first couple weeks, we began to meet new people, and I started to learn what people look like when they live life in Christ and community, and it was something I wanted to experience for myself as well. Lakeland has shown me that a person does not have to present themselves as something special to be a follower of Christ. People here are genuine and welcoming and also flawed and vulnerable, which as a flawed and vulnerable person, this seemed like the place to be. 
I feel welcome here, and I feel the love from our closest friends. This church takes the word community very seriously, and that's what I love about it most. In the six-plus years we've been coming to Lakeland Community, the biggest moment for me in following the life of Christ was attending a men's retreat at the Huckabee Cabin back in October of 2015. This was the first time I had attended a retreat in my life, and it could not have come at a better time. I was a man in pain, having lost a very close friend of over 14 years over a difference of opinions of which both of us was too stubborn to be the bigger person and admit fault to. He hurt me personally, and I was having a very difficult time forgiving him for that. So I went on this men's retreat to find a way to heal, and I met a group of men here at Lakeland over an enormous campfire, and they quickly became some of the best friends I would ever have. And not only good friends, but brothers and brothers in Christ. Brothers that would do anything for each other and brothers that would do anything for me. Meeting these gentlemen not only healed me, but it showed me love and camaraderie that I'd only felt once before, which was in the military. Stemming from this men's retreat almost two years ago, we have a group of over half a dozen men from that that still meet every Tuesday morning for breakfast just because we absolutely enjoy being around each other's company. It's sort of a small group, but not really an official one. It's a community of men in Christ, and we're good for each other and good for each other's souls. I love these guys, and I would do anything for them, and I'm pretty confident they would say the same for me. I have found a home here and a church family. Being around these men and their families has shown me how to be a better friend, a better husband, and hopefully a better father to my three boys. I am far from perfect, but I'm learning that Christ is okay with that and loves me anyway. As long as I'm trying my hardest to live life in his image, I can feel better about where my life is headed, and I'm sure I'll have my church family to help me along the way. I'd like to thank everyone here at Lakeland for helping me on my journey. My name is Jay Hertzler. This is my story. Thank you. Thanks, brother. Well, thanks, Jay. And all the other stories that we have going on around here, that's good stuff. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness, protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Go in peace, everyone.